Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Lee Carlo. I am with Jeremy Fisk and Chapin Hemingway. We are talking about another 2020 fixie candidate. Is that the right word for this? Yeah, I think the so. The Nest, directed by Sean Durkin, starring Jude Law and Carrie Coon. And uh, that's it, guys. We're we're narrowing down the films. We are getting closer and closer. I believe we're at 34 days away, T-minus 34 days, to the Fixie Award show. So it's getting exciting here. Things are dried up here for me. There's an opportunity. Where? London. This will be our fourth move in ten Turn years. backwards. But money's fine, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is a fresh start. How about this? You shouldn't be working for someone else. Be your own boss. Build your own place. <laughs> own your own horses. Something doesn't feel right. It's not your job to worry. You leave that to your husband. It scares me that you actually think that. So you're back here full time? Oh yes. We've just bought a beautiful farm in Surrey, and we're thinking of a pied-à-terre in Mayfair. <laughs> it's just small talk. I saw some deposits you made. It's nowhere near what you're spending. Don't worry. I have a huge check coming in at the end of the month. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. Is it? You're delusional because you have nothing, Rory. We have nothing. It's horrible here. No one is the same There's here. Nothing, nothing wrong is the same with here. This house. People seem to want everything and expect every need to be fulfilled. What is happening? You're all strangers to me right now, all of you. You're embarrassing. And you're exhausting. That's what we always wanted. All right, guys. Uh, I'd like to let our audience know just what our plans are kind of for the next month or so before we get into talking about The Nest. We are officially into the 2021 movie year, which began March 1st. And while we still have a reasonably sized list of movies we have to watch for the Fixies, uh, we do want to start thinking about the new year and what we're going to be talking about. And so for some coming episodes over the course of the next month, uh, we may not necessarily have a 2020 Fixie candidate uh, on the weekly pod, but we might be looking at maybe some 2021 movies. We might be looking at some of our 20-year anniversaries for the year 2001, which we enjoy doing. Um, over the course of the year, we'll probably look at some more of those, some 25-year-old movies, maybe some 30, some 40-year-old movies as well. Um, we're also going to be doing something that Chapin came up with called the Great Movie Series, which I'm very excited about, where we revisit and take a look at some movies like uh, the Godfather, Shawshank Redemption, maybe some Hitchcock movies, some that we haven't perhaps watched in a long time, but are generally considered to be some of the best of all time. So that's just kind of the year ahead uh, as we start to dwindle down the list of 2020 movies that we are watching for the Fixies. 
but this week we've got The Nest, which is the second film from director Sean Durkin after Marcy Martha, Marcy Martha May Marlene, which came out 10 years ago in 2011. This movie stars Jude Law and Carrie Coon. Uh, and before we get into the movie specifically, I have a question for you guys in terms of the slow burn. And I think that's a term that can be applied to a number of different types of movies. So I just kind of want to get an idea from you how you feel about those types of movies, what those types of movies need in order for them to work for you. And then we can parlay that into a conversation about the nest, but try to avoid that part for now. Well, for me, slow burns really work when it hits a certain tone, when you can feel the movie rather than experience Mm -hmm. it. Like instead of the plot or the story really grabbing you it's the tone of the film what you're feeling throughout and i think though that's when slow burn movies really work for me yeah that's a i love that um i i really like them when they do work um i think it's my sort of preferred way to watch a movie i i i I would i would say um i think that I feel like I'm trying to think of what the opposite of a slow burn is, like getting all the information that you need right away. And when I when I think about that, I think about unsubtle filmmaking, which I usually don't like. But I'm sure there's examples of that being good. Um, but I think of the word tension when I hear slow burn. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we're doing this, we're taking our time with this, and we're using all our sort of repertoire of filmmaking techniques to build tension um, to get us to wherever we're going. Um, and I think there's a, there's a sense of building and building and building and building and crescendoing to something eventually. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. You guys both kind of feel the same as I do. I like the idea of feeling the movie as opposed to just kind of being told what's happening or having the plot drive it forward. Now, what do you guys remember, if anything, about Marcy, Martha, May Marlene? Didn't see it. You didn't see it. Jeremy, we did a podcast on it in the early days. Um, do you remember uh, much about it? Not too much. I remember it's like a cult, I believe, in that uh, it's another sort of slow burn suspense movie. Yeah, so it was also, I don't think it was technically her debut, but it was really what brought Elizabeth Olsen into our lives. And uh, it's really about the aftermath after she escapes a cult and she goes to live with her sister. Now, what I do remember about that movie is it being a kind of a similar style slow burn as The Nest. And, you know, I think about it similar to the way that Chapin, you described it as, you know, a movie that's just constantly simmering and you can kind of feel that little flame getting closer and closer to the end of the fuse but what happened, if I recall, in uh, at least what disappointed me about that that movie, Marcy, Martha, May, Marlene, is that it got to the end of the fuse and there was no explosion. There was no crescendo, as you said, Chapin. It just kind of fizzled out. And I'll just get right into it. I kind of felt a little bit the same with The Nest. Like, I had this consistent feeling throughout the movie that it was going to crescendo to something, and then I don't feel like it really did. So I... I made me think about 
what I just watched. Well, that's interesting that you say that because I feel like this and what we what we watched last week, Minari. I think my two that my issue with both films is the same, which is that if there was a crescendo, which I think you're sort of denying, Lee, like to me it felt ham fisted in both cases in both films where okay. you've got this slow moving movie and i think that the the distinction between minari and i guess this gives credit to the nest is that in the nest there is a sense of i, I don't think the film is hiding that it is a slow burn building to something we get these like long dreadful and i mean that in a sense that they are full of dread zooms kubrickian zooms um in and out of these locations we're looking at and in and out of things. And we're, we're watching these sort of long takes where it's often the camera doesn't move. Lee, I don't know if you want to talk about the plot about the, of this movie or not. Um, but I think there is a sense of building tension here, but I, I just didn't buy the way this film did crescendo. And I think it actually did have a, have a serious crescendo. I just didn't okay, buy it, yeah. really. or I didn't um, really see how it. I felt like it was it was sort of out of step with the rest of the film. Jeremy, what before you respond, I'll I'll give a quick uh, synopsis of the movie. Jude Law and Carrie Coon um, play a married couple, uh, Rory and Allison O'Hara. They live in the states, and Jude Law's character gets a job offer back in London, where he's from, and I and where he at the same place that he used to work from his old boss. And they move there into this enormous kind of estate castle type English manor uh, with their two kids, one one of whom is uh, uh, Allison's, Carrie Coon's daughter, uh, before they before she was married to Rory and their their son, who uh, their son Ben. And the movie kind of just follows their marriage in a way and follows their lives in a way. And we see how we, we learn a lot about who Jude Law's character is and what he does for a living and how he makes money or supposedly makes money and how that impacts their marriage and impacts Carrie Coon's life and their kids. And like I said, this is all played out in a very slow and methodical simmering way uh, until we get to the finale that Chapin was alluding to. So Jeremy, uh, back to my kind of initial question in terms of this movie's crescendo, this movie's uh, explosion, for lack of a better term. Do you what? How did you feel about how this movie progressed and where it ended up? I I, I mean, honestly, I think the movie was lost. It didn't. It didn't know where it kind of wanted to go, and it became sort of unhinged and not in a good way like it was just bizarre like I didn't quite understand why why the the things that were happening were happening I think the movie got confused in what it was trying to be for a while well I I noted that this movie tries so hard not to reveal anything too big or too specific that it ends up not revealing really anything important. Right. And that's kind of my point. It's like, what it, what was it hiding from us ultimately? Exactly. Because yeah. it, it was trying to hide a lot from us for a long time. And 
like there are points where I was like, is this turning into a ghost story? There's like a moment where a, a door's open in this really mm-hmm. sort of manner of a house that you're like, all of a sudden, like we're, you know, doing doing that sort of movie. And then that's not really it. And and I just, is it just about the marriage? Is it just about, like, I, I, I don't think the movie knew. Chapin, go ahead. Yeah, and then there's the weird thing with the, horse rising from the grave which was also like ghosty yeah the horse clearly had a deeper meaning in this movie that i did not connect to similar to the how i didn't connect to what the minari meant in minari um i'm (laughs) I'm a serious philistine lately can't connect any of the deeper the deeper themes of the movies um okay so we all seem to have a similar problem but, but I, I like this movie, though. I didn't mind it. I, I thought it was for the most... So what was interesting to me, and this might sound kind of strange, and it's a little difficult to understand, but like I liked, uh, I liked what this movie was as a whole, but I didn't like how it presented itself and where it ended up. And what I mean by that is that I think this movie is really just kind of about that relationship. And how you know things big and small that happen through your life the decisions that you make the people the, the the your personalities the people that you actually are impact everything both positively and negatively but this movie like acts as if it, like something much more sinister is happening really it's like i love jude law's character in this movie i love a character that just tries to like exude confidence and swagger but like everybody just sees through his bullshit and like everybody, it's like fully transparent and he doesn't even realize that everybody sees through it. And I love that. And what that, how that impacts his family is really significant. And you could, you know, maybe it like sways into the, you know, you guys are talking about kind of like the ghost story element. For me, it was more that like she loses this horse, which was like a relationship that she had. She feels like this movie maybe tries to make us think that she's going a little crazy when that door's left open and like the lack of her husband's presence and their financial problems are kind of making her go stir crazy in this huge, huge mansion. And I think that's all about just like a relationship. But this movie tries to pretend it's something else. And that was my problem. So I liked what it actually is but i didn't like what i watched does that make sense i like the concept of jude law trying to act above his means and trying to be like just being obsessed with being wealthy and trying to live his life like he's wealthy and lying and being full of bs and everyone sort of seeing through that and his relationship sort of hinging on that but there's just so much of this movie that made no sense to me and i thought was going somewhere Mm. like i I, I I sort of it felt like it felt like like Ari Aster was in the background somewhere of this film, <laughs> you know, like he just to, hovering. He came to visit set a couple yeah, times. he came to visit set a couple times, and he was just hovering in the background of the of this film. Where, but unfortunately, never took that dark of a turn. Like there's there's that scene where Jude Law goes and visits his mother, which he hadn't seen in forever. Like, what was that about? He shows his mother a picture of the family without the daughter i understand the daughter's a stepdaughter but i thought that was going somewhere but like this at movie that just... point at that point that wasn't revealed so again another example 
of this movie trying to create something that isn't. Right. And I wanted those threads to connect and be something, but there were never anything. And because of that, it this movie felt really hollow. Like it just mm. it was a lot of nothing, to be well, honest with you. It's, it's like it's like the movie saying, pay attention to this, pay attention to this, pay attention to this, pay attention to this. And then nothing happens. Right. right. Even the big thing with the horse, like they they like they bury a horse and the horse comes back up and then at the end spoiler she gets she she freaks out and starts unburying the horse but that's it then they cut away so the so what happened there she unburied so, the horse and, and it's your guys understanding that that was like that's like a natural phenomenon that that can happen that this horse can just rise up i i imagine like the ground eroded or something like right like so, but, but, but who can like again we're like debating over this because like why like what did any of this mean like what what are we doing and it's just really like they this either needed to be an Ari Aster movie or it needed to just be it needed to concentrate on that relationship and that be the dynamic of this whole movie I, I, these threads that it, it went off to just it, it it wasn't it was like this movie didn't have enough to fill the the time the running time so it just added a bunch of stuff yeah i mean you they spend the first like 10 minutes which i looked i looked at the at the click the the ticker and i was like okay never a good sign well yeah i mean yeah. i was gonna say that i actually was quite entertained minute minute by minute for during this movie but i i, I just wanted to see like okay so they're establishing this life and for the purposes of the podcast it'd be nice to know sort of you know how long this is taking and it was like seven minutes it felt like a lot longer which wasn't a bad thing i just mean like i think it was actually quite effective in showing yeah they've got this nice life here like um in the states they live on this in a relatively nice house they've they they go to school they they like jude law seems like a really good dad um carrie you know I didn't really understand like the waking up motif, the waking up and having a cigarette uh, and the, and the tea thing. And like, there was some kind of consistency there. Uh, Yeah. I think it's, again, that's the, the monotony of that relationship, like and and how that can have an impact negatively or positively. Like the through line, the, or in the overall picture here is that relationship. But we've said it over and over again now. There was too many other things to try to suggest that it was something else. And, like, I'm really glad we all agree on kind of our feelings towards a slow burn because, Chapin, you're you're right in that kind of minute by minute, at least at the, you know, the beginning, maybe the first half of this movie, you're with it because you're, you realize it's taking a little bit of time. But you those early scenes, okay, we're establishing something. We're learning who these characters are. You know, it's going slowly, but we're, we're getting to something. And then something's revealed. Okay, what's that? But the further and further you get into this movie, the more and more you start to expect that stuff to start tying together right. or to, to build to something. And when it doesn't, or when it's still, or, or when it just hasn't happened yet at least, you're starting to say, okay, what are we doing here? Are, you know, this the, we're now th- three quarters of the way through this movie and none of these things have tied together. Well, and and I, we're still just revealing more new things. I, like, I I disagree with that a little bit. I mean, I, I I never felt myself thinking about that, but I was. I, so I think the kids are a good example. So, you know, until well into they them arriving in England and living on this estate in Surrey, uh, the Benjamin character I guess has a what uh, uh 
a um a wet dream is that the sense no, that you got? I think he wets the bed oh i thought he had had a he's too old to wet the bed so i think you're assuming he's also too old to be carried by his mother so yeah because i guess he's only 10 or maybe that is too young so i don't know but you're, yeah so he like in, in much like Minari hides the his underwear or strips his bed or whatever and then that seems to start this feeling this some some tension at school but of course that hasn't like been established and so yes I guess you're right in that sense Lee like that's a new thing okay now he's become aware he's a, he's sort of aware and maybe this is what it's trying to say is it's aware he's aware of the tension building between his parents um, <laughs> but it's what's weird is I think is that it it it, it and then the even more hand-fisted is the scenario with Sam, his older sister, who seemingly in the la- third act just becomes a wreck, does speed, has a big party at the at the mansion, and and falls apart. Um, Which was except for too, except for she there can was have no indication that her parents weren't going to come home. No, yeah, no. And, <laughs> and and she's able to just go and make breakfast the next morning. She was I I. I got annoyed that she wasn't hungover. She was like, "Let's go make breakfast." Oh, yeah, you don't get hungover <laughs> when young. you start drinking. Yeah, um, but I guess what's what's a little frustrating about that. I mean, besides the fact that I felt those two characters were sort of ineffectual in terms of how they were portrayed, but also I think the idea of the Jude Law Carrie Coon relationship is quite interesting. Like this guy who, and I think you know, I was worried watching this that Jeremy was going to be really. Like I hate this movie because it's about it's like oh you 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 poor rich people you your horse died, <laughs> um, like oh big problems. Meanwhile, there's this other guy in the '80s losing his farm, growing Korean groceries. Um, but like I guess I guess my point about that is that I I was interested in I I think like Jude Law like had his character had like a complex like he he was like a professional liar essentially. Yeah, and that was the most interesting part. Of really movie, interesting, for sure. And and it was, and I think it was like there is where you would make this what less what we talked about. I think on like last week's episode about like a love affair with the rich and like oh these rich people are you know oh poor poor lady her horse died, you know that's tragic. I don't mean to like you know downplay that in any way. I'm just saying like you know it's not like you're going to lose your farm or you're living in a van like kind of compared to the other know. stories we've had but like but i guess my point is that you know it's a criticism of these people like he's like Jude Law wants to deregulate everything so that he can come in and like fake fake it till he makes it and like i think that says a lot about want- that that kind of that kind of work i think a lot of finance is that kind of bullshit yeah, and I wanted this movie to be yeah. more about that. Like, that's interesting to me. Like, the, the problem I had with this movie was, like, my mind kept trying, be, and not my fault, it's just human nature. You're trying to make these, especially in a slow burn movie, where you're of building course. up, you're, you're, you're thinking you're, you're, you're building to up yeah. to something. You're trying to make these connections that this movie is offering to you for no reason at all. Well, yeah, like, yeah go and ahead. that's the that's the point is that we're not trying to be prescri- prescriptive by saying like make the movie more about that Jude Law character. It's there already. Like that's the that that's the crux of like what is making all of these things go wrong in this relationship. And you can still have things like this this random door in the manor being left open that freaks out Carrie Coon. You can still have like 
the daughter going a little bit crazy and starting to do drugs and throwing parties and the son starting to wet the bed. But that can all connect to the fact that the way Jude Law is behaving and the financial problems that he's creating for his family are manifesting themselves in bigger problems for the family, whether it's mental, whether it's wetting the bed, whether it's, you know, doing drugs, like all of these things can connect if you use that character as a linchpin. But it chose not to. It just had that be a secondary piece. Exactly. It just happened to be part of it. Exactly. And also, by the way, how bad is he financially? That he works in finance, but (laughs) his... He can't even make any money by accident. His idea of, like, good financial decisions is to buy or or pay for rent for a mansion for a year, pay for a kid's private school until his bank account is down to zero, and and then go into work and be like, oh, I'm going to sell your company. And the guy's like... (laughs) No. And he's like, oh, I was, de- I needed that. I was like, what? How bad are you at this? Yeah. He could have just paid month to month. Yeah. He could have tried the same plan. Or he could have just got a smaller place and like was financially a little bit smarter. And... Well, the the size of the place is all part of his character. Of course. He tries of to course. create the image of success, but he I could get still that, do but that. I don't think a guy pay, that would, would a year. make those decisions would work in finance. Yeah, he probably I don't know. I mean, or he wouldn't have gotten rehired yeah. by the same company that that clearly he had issues with, which they allude to. So I'd like to ask you guys about Carrie Coon. I, I, I yes. think I'm going to be a uh, contrarian on this one. Okay, well, I I'm, did a, not think, I'm excited to hear I that. But yeah, I did not think she was great. I just think the way that... What's the director's name in this movie? Sean Durkin. What? Sean Durkin. Sean Durkin uses her is interesting so i've always found her to be a bit of a chameleon like she looks one way in gone girl but she looks totally different i guess she was in fargo she looks totally different in another like she just is kind of a chameleon um and the way he uses her in this i think is smart like she's when you first meet her she's kind of like you know dressed down and and working in stables and you know riding horses and stuff and then she can just like immediately turn on the sexiness to be the hot presentable wife and she looks totally different well i think i did like the aspect that she was more comfortable shoveling horse shit than she was in like an elegant dress at a at a fancy restaurant um and i like that she could you know go between those two worlds i i did like that but i i also and I don't know if it's her fault or it was the fault of the director or the writer, but I think some of the dialogue just was stagnant, especially coming out of her mouth. Um, and I thought that part of the performance was lacking. I did like the part of the performance of, you know, when she decided to just leave the restaurant and go and get drunk and, and, um, have a night out to herself like i liked all that and i i liked her character like the idea of her character but i really think some of her line delivery was just plain bad i mean i am not i don't feel as harshly towards her as that um you guys heard my my opinions on her in gone girl um which are quite harsh and not so much against her acting as much as her the way her character is written in that movie but I, I don't know. I guess my understanding is that uh, that she is the one that's getting a lot of praise for this movie, and I don't feel like that is 
well earned. I mean, it's she her performance is fine, just as is Jude Law's. Like it's just there's nothing extraordinary or memorable about either one of these performances for me. Um, hmm. Much like the movie, unfortunately, I just think that they everything functions relatively efficiently uh, in terms of the performances and the movie, but I was just not overly impressed. I, I was hoping at the very least that there would be something we could get out of this movie for fixie considerations or even just a discussion on this podcast and uh, with the performances, and that just wasn't there for me. Yeah, I totally agree. Hmm. Yeah, I... I think they're both well cast, if that makes sense. I just don't know. Yeah. I don't think that either performances are extraordinary, but I think they are both suited to their roles. I think. Yeah, I I thought Jude Law was good. I don't think he was like, if we're talking fixie nomination, sort of. No. no. I thought Jude Law was good. Um, I thought Carrie Coon was cast well. I agree with that, Chapin. I just thought. There was there was moments she took me out of the film. Yeah, hmm. like can you like which moments, for example? Uh, there was certain arguments. Um, I think one of them was when she kicked him out of the room to like find like get the money. Mm. There was I, there was certain there were certain places that I just I didn't buy it. I did not buy it. Yeah, to me the this this is a this is a script and direction issue here. And Sean Durkin wrote and directed the screenplay, and this is the f- first feature length project he's had, and really only the third project he's had in his career, uh, writing and directing. So I don't know. I mean, the, there's some tonal issues throughout this movie, in, in scenes like you described, Jeremy, where like this is is this the explosive argument uh, of the of the movie or are we going to you know stick with this slow burn Uh, it just couldn't decide totally and that puts an actor in a difficult position and yeah i think you know jude law had a little bit more fun and entertaining material to work with because he's kind of playing this this uh, bullshitter but carrie coon was tasked with having to kind of play this straight arrow that is either kind of deteriorating mentally or having to survive these financial hardships and, you know, extraneous things that the husband is putting the family through. And it's a hard thing to kind of emote or portray. And she's fine. She does a good job, but it's just not, it's just not. I I think you guys are maybe underappreciating her a little bit. I just don't think the film use, I, I know I just said he uses, I think she's cast well, like I said, and I think he, I think because of the way, part of the way she looks, it, it she, he, uh, Sean Durkin uses her very effectively. I think she has created a character here that the film can't can't handle in terms of interest. Um, like she's obviously very sexy, but she's also like got this really sort of I don't know how. Like she also can like downplay her looks in this really interesting way. She has this past that's like very briefly alluded to in the sense that she had a young daughter um, or she had a daughter when she was quite young and they were living in a crappy apartment and had seemingly very like bad life circumstances until Jude law came along. You know, she's obviously been through this with, with Jude law's character for a while back and forth, like this kind of 
rags to riches back to rags again thing. So she saved her own money. There's a sense of like, I think she, like she's, she just, I get the, I get a real great sense from her performance that she's just lived a life as being a, a relatively young person. She's lived uh, quite a life as a, as a character, but mm-hmm. the film doesn't like use that to our, to its benefit at all. Like I, I don't really know the point of that at all, except that, except to sort of make their, the tension in their relationship a little more interesting. But like, you know, she does those weird, that, that there's a weird sequence where she finds out after they tour that ridiculous apartment that he wants to buy with no money. Uh, they go out to dinner at some fancy, like eighties restaurant and she's just body and like, you know, just taste the, you know, test the wine by drinking right from the, from the, um, the, the bottle, which is a time honored tradition, as I understand it, Lee. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, again, like it's it's things like that that I I don't really understand. And I find like I think it'd be interesting for us to discuss. I like I'd ultimately like to know what you guys think this movie is about, what Sean Durkin thinks this movie is about. But I think it'd be interesting for us to discuss like in these movies that are like this with this slow burn. I feel like there is huge emphasis placed on scenes because it moves slowly, moves slowly. It's not like a Nolan movie where there's like a hundred scenes in a hundred different settings. There's like six scenes or maybe eight scenes. And so you tend to right. remember them. They're, they're, they're quite memorable, but then you draw a lot of, or you, you look for a lot of meaning in those scenes. And so it's interesting because you get to know her character, but also what was that scene trying to say? Like, how important was that compared to the, you know, 15 minutes we got of her um, working in the stables and, 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 and those aspects of it? Like, like it's it sort of it sort of makes each scene seemingly so much more important than if it were twice as many scenes or three times as many scenes. Well, it's interesting that you ask, you know, what we think this movie is about and what Sean Durkin thinks this movie is about. You know, I like I said I really do think at at the center of it all, it's about this relationship. And that, and if you're listening to this podcast, whether or not you've heard, seen the movie, you're, you're probably connecting the dots. You're 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 hearing how we're pointing out all of these things and how they're impacting the relationship and how the how everything is sort of there. But we've also emphasized that they're not treated as if they are what the movie is about. And Chapin, you bring up how all these scenes are so significant because there's so few and the movie moves slowly. And it's almost as if, you know, Durkin in maybe knowing what his movie was about, this relationship, but recognizing the significance of each one of these scenes and feeling like he needed to fill them with either too much or something else or whatever. And that's where things started to go wrong. That, Every time something is inserted into this movie that, you know, feels like it's extraneous, we as audience members, not quite knowing yet what the movie is about, are trying to latch onto those and are trying to connect those. And ultimately, I think that's what makes the movie not work is that because those scenes are so significant and because, you know, they may be 15 minutes long, we're clinging to every piece of dialogue we're we're trying to connect every little thing that happens and i think that's as really opposed interesting. to that nolan i think nolan movie yeah. where we're just like i missed something but uh, i'll catch up you know 
Yeah, it, it goes back to my point of like your mind desperate to make connections, exactly, your mind desperate yeah. to like try and make um, meaning really out of everything because it is moving so slowly. You're like, this must be important. I better pay attention here. And it doesn't always. Yeah, he leaves all these clues that go to like down the wrong path to dead ends. And that would be interesting if this was like a movie, of a murder mystery or, you know, like, right. you know, but it's not. This but the, movie but that's the, that. that's what great. I'm glad you said that because like you, even if you watch the trailer, but like 20 minutes into this movie, 40 minutes into this movie, like that's what you think is going to happen. You're like, is somebody going to be murdered? Is something like that going to happen? And that was what my whole point about, you know, that fuse kind of, you know, going down to the end and not exploding. Like you just, it just fizzles out. Yeah. Cause you, this movie yeah. makes you think that like, well, something is going like, like, to like, happen. even go back to the horse thing. Like, wouldn't it have been more interesting if somebody like, if she went out in the horse, like she found the horse like shot or something. Well, you know, what's funny is that Lydia watched about a half of this movie with me before she went to bed. And she asked me today, I, I was kind of recapping what happened. I'm like, the horse died. And she's like, did Jude Law kill the horse? And I was like, clearly she got the same impression that something like that was afoot. And yeah. this horse was like, it became funny to me because it was like a get out of jail free card for Carrie Coon. Like her kids would be being obnoxious and then they're like, the horse, the horse died. And they're like, died. oh, mom, so sorry. Leave her alone. The horse died. And I was like, what is going on here? Stop taking speed. The horse died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would love to, like, I was thinking the same thing, Jape, and like, I, I want to know, like, what Sean Durkin, when he's went to sit down to write this like what was he trying to accomplish because he obviously had i would think an idea here of of something he's trying to say to his audience but i i don't know what that is so like yeah i'd love to ask him i would too and and what's i think what is fascinating to me about this and it goes back a little bit to uh what's his name uh shaka king shaka yep Becca King, that, you know, like, I think the minute to minute stuff is really competently directed. And mm-hmm. there are these moments, which I'd love for you, uh, if you guys have an explanation, I'd love to know. But like, there's, you know, this, this guy, Sean Durkin lists The Shining as one of his most influential films. And you can totally see it in the film. I saw it even before reading that, like those zooms from the perspective, from the POV of the house as if it's haunted in some way. And that's not really done very well but like i I, going back to that like i think i'd like to give our audience an example of why you have to be so precious about that time there's you know in in these movies in these slow burns that let the audience fill in the gaps like i think that's a that's a really important point like look like this this director is letting his audience put these pieces together that's part of what a slow burn is i think and there's a shot where we see that Jude Law has gone to England ahead of them. He's on the plane. We just see him on the plane. Well, I don't know why we need to see him on the plane, but we see him on the plane, and we don't see the other three characters we've been introduced to on the plane. And it's like, okay, well, now we're going to start looking at this shot of him on the plane. What are we supposed to take away from this? He's, He's not in first class. He is in first class. Like, does that matter? He looks a little... Caught, like he looks a little hesitant about his 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 impending um, new job, but then we see we we know that he's gotten there because we see him arrive and he's he's 
presents them the house and um but yeah anyway sorry to go off on a tangent like that i just think like that's what i you know as someone who it seemingly is influenced quite a bit by by kubrick like even though a film like the shining is full of outrageous stuff and it's quite long you do feel like an economy of i think i've always felt that with kubrick like an economy of what he's showing you like he's he's not showing you anything you don't need to see or that he wants you to see and i felt that in this movie like i like i know this is i don't i think sean durkin is showing us exactly what he wants us to do he's not experimenting he's not you know mm-hmm. he he's not like showing he's not you know including this scene because it was written for some subtle reason. Like everything is meant to be, but what does it all add up to? Yeah, I agree. And that's, that is almost more frustrating because it's similar to our reactions to Ari Aster movies, oddly. And it's funny that you brought him up, Jeremy, because we, we all, we recognize Ari Aster as a pretty intentional filmmaker and he includes all of these things in his movies and they supposedly lead kind of in opposite fashion to this movie to very explosive conclusions that feel like a reach oftentimes. And maybe the pieces are there to get you, like that, that are, are in place to get you there, but it's hard to see that happen. But you know that he was putting those pieces there. Here, Durkin is putting those pieces there, but just like Astor does, but doesn't lead anywhere as opposed I, I would almost rather one of two things to happen either it leads somewhere explosive and I say man I didn't really think that it earned that or I really don't see how those pieces got us there or do those are those pieces completely absent and we have probably a thinner movie but one you know it's probably one that we just say yeah you know good entertaining film that we saw in April or did, like, or did we miss it I don't think we missed it. I think we're fully aware of what this movie was about because we have connected all of these pieces back to the relationship. The movie is what failed to do that. The movie decided to make these pieces about something else, to suggest something else, something more sinister, something darker that just wasn't a part of the movie. Yeah, this movie felt like either A, there are scenes that are missing, like literally, like it, it was an experiment for Sean Durkin to like omit the the interesting gruesome stuff or it was like it's like to go back to the shining chapin it's like as if the shining where jack torrance never really goes crazy and you never see any of those scenes it just sort of cuts or it it, it it cuts around that that's a great point it's like you see these scenes where him he he starts to go crazy. There's even the scene where he yells at his wife, but it never gets to the point where he chases it with the baseball bat. It just sort of ends with them sitting around the dinner table. Yeah, and with him crying, saying sorry, and and that's pretty much it. And it's like imagine The Shining, where where Jack Torrance just goes, "I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> little outburst, <laughs> a little stressed, little st- little stress, Wendy, darling." Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think we, I mean, it sounds like, Chapin, you liked this more than we did, though. Well, I, Or did we convince you otherwise? No, no, no. I, I knew... I, He'll never. He, he rarely admits that. No, no. I, I mean, I, 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 I knew when I finished it last night that something was missing. 
And I like I, but I, I, I couldn't turn it off. You know, I, I, wa- I started this pretty late and I figured I'd probably finish it in the morning or, you know, sometimes I, I'll like watch the last 20 minutes on my phone before I go to bed or something. But oh, for yeah, I know. I mean, I, I, this, is a, this is a film podcast. I mean, I've watched like full movies just on my phone that we've reviewed. So just like Nolan intended, just like Nolan intended. Um, but, uh, I, I couldn't turn it off. I was just, I was hooked. You know, I, I mean, I, I knew like all this stuff wasn't adding up, but you know, I, I, I couldn't turn it off. I didn't. W- I think it's cause you, you enjoy the simmer. Like you, like yeah. Jeremy mentioned at the top, like you like the feeling that these types of movies give you and it's attention. It's an edgier seat feeling like you, you want to kind of go along for the ride. It's only when you get to the end and realize that, you know, the ride just kind of slowed to a, halt that you're disappointed and you start to you know question what you just watched but yeah i agree like i i i didn't have an issue i thought this for a slow move this is going to sound contradictory but for a slow movie i felt like it moved quickly like it wasn't a it wasn't a painful two hours i think it's an hour and 40 minutes or something like that it moved relatively i mean there were laughable moments though in this movie that just like when she was unburying that horse i after she carried her, you know, fourteen-year-old son. I mean, maybe he was supposed to be ten, but it just seemed awkward. Down to the whore, mom. I got to show you something. And then she's like, "I'll pick you up and I'll, I'll bring you over there." And then she starts digging out. And then the the sister's like, "Oh, let's make bread." Like, right? And, it just, and you, there do, was... you don't have any sense that like it, that uh, that horse was her horse from the United. Like, there's no. Yeah. A, we don't really understand the relationship she has with the horse, right? Like. Right. Is that her horse? I mean, maybe a little bit. I assume that's I, we, her we horse. more understand her relationship she has with horses. Yeah, exactly. Like we know general. we know that she trains horses and, and 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 that's important to her, but we don't know like it's not about this particular horse that dies. And then there was that moment when she was drunk and she pulled over and fell asleep in the car and she saw the horse like uh, Oh yeah. I mean I mean, the, look, look, this I to like me a, this was this was the equi- uh, and this was the equivalent to if your pet dog or cat dies and you bury it and then a few days later it has like resurfaced, right? That can be a little jarring, right? That can be a little bit emotional for you, I'm sure. All of that. Is this but, a thing? Just corpses who, resurfacing? Like but, what are we talking about? No, but about? that's not my point. But like, what does that have to do with the movie? Who cares? It really yeah, like, it really it really doesn't. So I can Again, if we want to tie it back, like this was a relationship that she had. It was part of her quote unquote family and she lost it. And it's weird to see it kind of resurface. And I don't know, is this a metaphor for how like her husband has resurfaced at the end of the movie? No, as a no, 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 no. But there is, like, there, on, is like, there is some metaphor in this. There's got to be a metaphor in the sandwich, right? Because we see the sandwiches. Uh, I was like, God. I should watch movies when I'm sober more often because, you know, I'm like eight weeks sober now and I'm like watching this movie with like, it's an incredible intensity, but like I, you know, there's the, he made Jude law makes the sandwiches for them at the beginning of the movie. And then his mother makes him the same sandwich, presumably um, when he visits her Jude law's mother. And then the daughter makes it for them at the end of the movie. 
I think no she just fucking made toast. clue what you're talking about with the sandwich. No, no, no. So she just made toast no, at the no, end no. there. She were you hungry? Sandwich. Were you fasting during I'm this fucking movie? Hungry now, okay? There were not even any sandwiches in this movie. No, there were sandwiches. I do remember. Chapin's just imagining sandwiches like Carrie Coon imagined the horse when she fell asleep. No, I do remember again. the mother, the mother's sandwich because it was all white bread and just like nothing in between. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, no, fucking also England has also the worst like food. They. Also, the guy that when she ran to the farm to get the guy, and he's like, "I'm sorry," and just like shot the horse in the head. Like she didn't want a second yeah. opinion. She didn't want. To, <laughs> well, the horse is want to go to the, I think she knew it was done for. Uh, well, she didn't take it to the vet, or at, yeah, I guess. How do you take it to the vet? Yeah, you just and put, put it, it in, put the, it in the back of your car. <laughs> yeah. So, I um, uh, tape. Did either of you guys? Uh, Peg, who Allison's mother was, I, it took me no. a yeah. millisecond yes. to recognize her from Air Force One. Yeah, she's the mo- she's the wife from Air Force One. Yeah. And I don't know why that was like I don't know what else has she been in. Um, I don't know. So yeah, what was that a little piece of trivia, a little who's who. Oh. Uh, all right, so the nest. I don't think we'll be hearing much more about this um, for the rest of the year. Like I said, we're going to start moving on, and that isn't to say that we aren't extraordinarily excited and continuing to prep for the fixies. But I feel like uh, I feel like we're at the point done. in the year where we'll be lucky at this point if we find an- another nominee or well, something that slips watching. in. Well, it's not that as much as it's just it's hard to be sure that we're going to watch all watch something that uh, is going to warrant a a full podcast. Well, I'm even saying for our own personal lists, I think we're getting towards the towards the end of like our lists are are probably 96 percent done. Maybe even yours, Lee, is 99 percent done for our fixie lists at this point. I think we'll be lucky to get. Something else. We in gotta there. have, and we gotta have ten best picture noms. Oh boy! Oh, I already have more than ten. I just gotta narrow them down. I'm very excited to talk about all of them. All right, interesting. All right, well, um, yeah. I mean, we have. Yeah, if you look at the numbers on the spreadsheet, um, they can be deceptive. But it's in terms of movies that are a priority, especially that are remaining. We all have pretty manageable. Um, lists to get through in the next 34 days before the fixies uh but in the meantime we're going to start looking forward for our weekly podcast like i said we're going to be talking about some 20 year old movies i think the plan is uh to do ali next which is a movie that chapin has been desperate for us to revisit and yeah can i I just say why sure of course well we've we've seen you know uh this this year with um one night in miami we saw that relationship between um Muhammad Ali and uh, Malcolm X. And I think uh, that's a big portion of Ali that I think is done much better and much more realistically and much more with much more intention. And um, that isn't just, you know, say anything negative about one night in Miami. But um, I also think, you know, we we talked about biopics um, on the (laughs) Judas and the black Messiah. And I think I'm really curious, especially for you, Lee, to see how this, um, how this film holds up in terms of 
uh, 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 sure. biopics because I, I, I think of this as a very important one. I also think it's kind of a fascinating movie to look at because I think it, I, I think it's good, but also it bombed. It didn't really perform at the Oscars. It sort of didn't do, you know, it had, it have all the elements of a, of a hit and it wasn't. And I think it might be interesting did to Will look Smith at it. Smith get nominated? He did. Like he, he did. Yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah, so that's the plan. That's going to kick off our 20-year retrospective. We obviously got movies like A Beautiful Mind, which was the Best Picture winner for 2001, uh, Black Hawk Down, Mulholland Drive. I'm really excited to do that one because that's one that you guys definitely need to revisit. Yeah. Um, Training Day, Royal Tenenbaums, Amelie. So a bunch of, from 20 uh, from 20 years ago, and then some 25-year-old movies, Swingers we've talked about watching. Something like Happy Gilmore I think would be really interesting to, to revisit. Um <laughs> And then, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Thief, another Michael Mann movie, Das Boot. Those are all 40-year-old movies this year, which is insane to think about. Uh, so we've got that. We've got our great movie series, which uh, I talked about. We might even fit a director retrospective into 2021. We haven't discussed it, but I'm sure we'll plan one. And then, of course, a huge slate of movies that was delayed from 2020 that will be coming out uh, over the course of the year. So... Uh, Time to start getting excited about 2021, but not at the expense of the 2020 Fixie Award Show, which is coming up in 34 days. Send your voice memos uh, talking about your favorites of the year to feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Check us out on Instagram. Jeremy's been writing up some reviews on Letterboxd. Uh, I've started to do the same. Chapin, I'm sure, will be following behind swiftly. Um, so we got a little presence on there as well. And uh, again, let us know... Uh, with your voice memos, ASAP, get them in so we can get them on the Fixies show. Thanks for listening. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.